Hi, I'm Vicki Abelson. Please join me for The Road Taken, celebrity maps to success for those of us still seeking ours. Tuesdays, 6 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 Central, 9 p.m. Eastern on Conversations Radio Network. Hi, I'm Vicki Abelson. I wrote a book called Don't Jump. Andy Stone is my heroine, and she was addicted to everything pretty much except heroin. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. She just totally captures the excitement of, of rock stars. And famous athletes and famous comedians. Sort of an insider's view from the outside. The warmth and wit of Vicky's writing knocked me out. In, in a good way, not, not like Cosby. Too soon? Vicky wrote a book? Vicki Abelson's long-awaited new book, Don't Jump, is finally here. Don't miss it. Available on Amazon. Welcome to Vicki Abelson's broadcast, The Road Taken. Vicki's the creator and host of the renowned celebrity-driven literary salon, Women Who Write, and the author of Amazon bestseller, Don't Jump. Here's Vicki. Hey, Justin, how you doing tonight? Good, how you doing, Vicki? I'm doing good. A little jet lag, but good. I just got back from New York, saw Springsteen, saw the color purple. Wow. I did the Tony winning Color Purple Best Musical. Um, Sounds like a good trip. It was a good trip, except I, I left my daughter there, and, and uh, um, I, I can't even get into Like, everybody on the plane yesterday was trying to figure out, like, who beat me up. Because I, I was crying so much, left my daughter at college and kind of traumatized. But I did get to take her to, uh, to Springsteen, and that was amazing. And I took her to the Color Purple, and our, I don't know if you know. Yeah, you do know. Our guest tonight, Allie Willis, um, wrote the music for the color purple and this is its second incarnation the first time around it was a big success but not the kind of success it is now now it is this screaming extraordinary success and Cynthia Erivo won the Tony and boy I'm telling you Justin I stood up three times in one song for this woman she is just extraordinary and um, yeah she's amazing and Heather Headley is like ridiculous we didn't see Danielle Brooks who's um, from Orange is the New Black we saw the understudy who has a major role in the show and got bumped up but she was incredible too it was an amazing production and you know but, but here's the funny thing about our guest tonight Allie Willis Justin she writes musicals and she well she wrote that musical she wrote the theme song to friends and she wrote september earth wind and fire i mean boogie wonderland i mean she's written a ton of hits and she hates going to concerts and she hates musicals (laughs) she hates them Wow. Like she will not go to musicals and she will not listen to live music when it's the craziest thing and so, uh, so you're in the business. I mean, do you do you not like to listen to other people's? What's your take on all this? Oh, I really like concerts and going to shows and going to movies and all that kind of stuff. Like, that's what I do. So that's what I like. I like doing also seeing what other people are doing with it. Exactly. Me too. You know, it's like I can't get enough of the stuff I love to do. I can't. I can't read enough. I can't see enough shows. I can't listen to enough radio. But it's crazy because Allie is just the opposite. I mean, it's literally like if she's coming to a women who write, she will time it to arrive after the musical guest has performed. (laughs) (laughs) And for someone whose whole life is music, it's just absolutely crazy. But I'm so excited to welcome her tonight. I adore her. Um, We had her seats for uh, 
the color purple, her, her house seats. So we oh, sat wow. in these great seats. And thanks to Allie, we got to go backstage afterwards. And Samantha got to meet them all and take pictures with them. And Cynthia Revo is just insane. So it was just a really magical night. And I'm, I'm so thrilled that I got to see this incredible achievement. And I'm really excited to talk to Allie. So here is our guest tonight, Allie Willis. Yeah. yeah. Audience of one. Yeah. I love applause in life. I I like to be applauded wherever I go. My kids know I put the dinner down. Applause, please. I agree. Dishes done. Applause, please. I do it otherwise. (laughs) All right. So, Allie. Yes. You know, I've I've known you for some years. You've you've been a pretty extraordinary friend for me because I can ask you for something. Not only will you show up, but like you drive to Big Sur to Monterey. Well, that was an incredible event. Oh, that really. I'm so happy I did that. Yeah. We talked to uh, to Mike Nesmith. Uh, He was my first guest on my first show. Yeah. Wacky. Yeah. I love that man. But, yeah, fantastic. But, uh, you but, were very excited about him, I remember. Really excited. And that was extraordinary. And you know, that was like his first foray back into music that day was the wow. first time he played for us. That was the first time he had played out with his band in like 17 years. That's incredible. And he did spoken word for us that he had never done before, before yeah. each song. Wow. And then he ended up going out with the monkeys for the first time in, in a gazillion years well, right after God that. God bless you for encouraging that. That's well, for sure. uh, you know, I don't, I don't think that I don't think, well, I think he does credit the event with, with kind of kickstarting that, but he definitely had a, a tremendous impact on me. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah. And, um, and on women who write and stuff that, yeah. gave, that gave it a lot of credibility. Yeah. Oh he did yeah. That. Yeah. And what a fun time we had up there. Well, it was unbelievable and that it was, you know, Henry Miller's Life. place, yeah. you know, I mean, it was, it was great. The it was setting great. was unbelievable. It was fantastic. And everybody on the show was great. And you had been to my home and done Women Who Write before that. Yes. And then you came back later with Larry Dunn. Yeah. So, I mean, and then you show up here. I, I'm so grateful for that. You are a very busy woman who has a lot going on. I, I don't know if you know this, but I, I do, at my first public speaking gig for motivational speaking, I opened with you. And what I did was I played September. Yeah. And the guy, oh, but the sound guy couldn't get it right. You know, I said, please, when I walk out, I was on a bill with Stedman Graham. Yeah, and yeah. Marianne Williamson. And, wow. and Yakov Smirnoff. And me. Wow. Right? And then there were like 10 other speakers. That's but an insane Right bill. what a bill that yeah. is for like a two-day event. This women's empowerment thing. Um, but I had like a really long line at my table. I had nothing to say. It was before my book came out. I had nothing yeah. to sell. But like, yeah, it was great. But anyway, what I oh, I asked the guy, I said, when I come out, please blast September. Yeah. Because, you know, it's early in the morning and I wanted to get women. Get them up. Get them up. You can, the corpse will come out of the coffin for <laughs> Wake September. Wake the women up. Yeah. That's right. I mean, who can't, who doesn't dance when they, so meanwhile he plays it and it's like. Oh, no, like, no, no. And I'm trying to get volume, him to do volume. it. And then, Finally, you know, the women start singing along and dancing, but he he never got that part right. But anyway, what I opened (laughs) with was that this little white Jewish girl wrote that song. Yeah. And who told her she could do that? Yeah. Well, especially that to this day, I have no idea how to... Uh, read, notate, or play. Oh, is music. that true? Oh, I don't know how to do anything. I do seriously. I um, uh, literally, I just start like banging pencils together and start before writing the color purple, co-writing the uh, Broadway musical. I had only seen three musicals in my life and despised the medium. I, I know, and I know, yeah. and I know. 
you hate going to see singers. Hate. You hate musicals. I mean, hate. this is all right. But and and by the way, I just said it before before you came out, but. Congratulations, Tony winner for The Thank Color you. Purple. Thank oh, my you. God. I was screaming on the top <laughs> yeah. of my lungs. Yes, more applause. Woo! Cue applause. I was screaming on the top of my lungs. I mean, it's... it's, And the fact that it happened the second go-round Well, that show. was the Cinderella story of all. Okay, so tell us. Because, well, uh, myself, Brenda Russell, um, Stephen Bray, all three of us pop songwriters from... LA, which is immediate death on Broadway. You get <laughs> yeah. no respect immediately. Um, uh, joined by Marsha Norman, uh, who's a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, theater writer. She got a Pulitzer Prize and a Tony, actually, for um, uh, Night Mother. Oh, wow. Uh, and uh, Brendan Stephen. Uh, Stephen's known for tons of uh, Madonna songs. Brenda. Um, uh, Luther Vandross, if only for one night. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alita Adams, get here. But so none of you should be on Broadway. No. no. Well, Marsha should. Well, Marsha, but, but I mean, you guys. Three. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but me especially. The other two at least loved the medium. <laughs> you know, I would like bitched for five years. But um, I mean, Allie literally, she like if she's gonna come over for a women who ride, she's like, no, I I can't listen to anybody. Sing. I, I I can't listen to the singing. No, <laughs> absolutely not. I, but I was always that way. It was, you know, I don't want to hear the whole album. Just give me the singles. And, and that's it. That's why I never went to concerts, ever. Oh, my I've, God. I've only been to, in my life, maybe 10 concerts. And I've had <gasps> over a 1,000 songs cut. That so, is the... Cri- that is... Cri- yeah. Did you ever go to an Earth, Wind, and Fire cut? Come on. You uh, I was dragged uh, three times. <laughs> and all three times, it was life-changing. Because to this day, I've written almost half of the songs in that show in the current show but uh you were asking about the color purple all right right so let's so uh we wrote that uh it opened in 2005 it was a hit right but not considered a not a classic yeah and it was done uh staged very traditionally as a big broadway musical it was up for tony's though the first run wasn't it? yeah up for 11 of them but but hello but yeah this staging of it by john doyle Mm -hmm radically different from the original, even though not one note of music, not one lyric, not one note of dialogue changed. How? Wow. Nothing. Ten minutes of dialogue eliminated, but that's it. And I, I literally couldn't tell you which, if my life depended on it. But stage so <laughs> Have you watched the show, Allie? The whole show? The Color Purple? Yes. Yes. That's okay. the only show I've seen in the last ten years, <laughs> but yes, I have. <laughs> And um, it, it just was completely stripped of everything. The first uh, go round, there were 161 costume changes. Oh my god! Now there's seven, and they <gasps> happen within the last like 20 minutes of the show. Wow! There's maybe four or five props in this. There were hundreds and thousands. Wow! You know, um, no set changes, no wig changes. No, it is just bare in your face. Very much as I think in our heads we thought we were writing it. Uh huh. Um, and it was just one of those gifts from God that this director, who was really known for taking mostly Stephen Sondheim mm-hmm. musicals and doing the same thing, just stripping them out. Wow. So, like, he did a version of Company where the actors all played their own instruments. I saw I, that. Might was it? Was that the one that was filmed? Because I saw, there was one that was filmed. I, I actually, I don't, I am not okay. the person to ask about All theater. Right, okay. I don't know. 
We get one to two standing ovations in the middle of the show. Wow. Consistently. Every single night. Wow, wow, wow. And that, I mean... That ain't happening even in Hamilton. You know, it's just, it's it's pretty unbelievable. Well, I've heard that Hamilton, as soon as he says, my name is Alexander Hamilton, there's pandemonium yeah. every single night. Yeah. And it's killing me that I'm not going to get to see Lynn, but that's a whole yeah. other story. Um, okay, so did it ever dawn on you as a little girl that you might one day <laughs> win a Tony Award? Oh, that didn't dawn on me until <laughs> they announced the color purple. Um, yeah. No, Um I, I always loved music. I certainly never played or sang or did anything, but I grew up in Detroit. Right. And you never played an instrument? No, to this day. To this day, no yeah. instrument. I, I, um, I mean, you know, I like do percussion and stuff okay. like that. And I can plunk out chords, but I mean slowly. I don't mean sit there and play like a fluid right. song. I tried to take a piano lessons when I first started writing. Mm-hmm. When but, was that? Know, How old were you? Uh, that was in, uh, I was 22 when I wrote my very first song, which uh, there was a song out uh, called um, Alone Again Naturally. I love that song. Love that song love by that Gilbert song. O'Sullivan. Uh-huh. And I was living in Manhattan at the time, um, working at a record company, writing the um, all the radio commercials and uh-huh. print ads and liner notes on the back of the albums. That was my first and only job out of college. And, uh, and this song came out, and I was on a bus, actually, coming down Columbus Avenue, mm-hmm. and I just started writing my own lyric to Alone that Again song? Naturally. Real. Do you, remember, I, do you remember what you, cha- what, what you wrote? Oh, yeah. It was a song called Ain't No Man Worth It. And my very first 10 songs I wrote were on my one and only album that came out in 1974. Wow. Child Star. And um, I, I just, I wrote 10 songs and I took them to my boss. At but the wait a minute. Company. So your first song was to the music of uh, uh, Alone Again Naturally? The music of Alone Again Naturally. <laughs> and then I called. Did you get, did you get in trouble for, get, for ripping them no, off? No, no, because it wasn't, I didn't use the chords or the, the melody or anything. I just wrote my own lyric. Then I called a friend of mine. Okay. Uh, who was my only friend I knew that played piano. <laughs> it was a white guy with an afro, so that was a good start. <laughs> and um, he came over, and he brought the chords to Never Can Say Goodbye. He brought the sheet music to Never okay. Could Say Goodbye. And we started at the end of the song, and he literally just played the chords backwards. <laughs> And I can sing, I can sing a melody to anything. If anyone like taps a beat, if you cough, I will write to it. So um, I just started singing and we got the first song. And then then the rest of them I wrote alone. Uh-huh. By, because by then I went and bought a piano and I bought a big reel-to-reel tape recorder. Yeah. And just started, and that's when I tried to take lessons. But as soon as they would have you do the scales, I would start hearing melodies. So it never, I just never could learn. Okay, so, all. all right, so now let's go back. Okay, so you're little Allie Willis. Were you ever in school plays? Uh, the only thing I was ever in one time was in second grade, and I played a tree. <laughs> and no do you lines. remember your, No, no lines. No lines. Because I was a Hanukkah candle in, in my first <laughs> play. From the crimson rays of the setting sun, my new red robe is quickly done. I will never wow. forget it, right? That's like a nine no, million years ago. I had nothing, <laughs> and but kept getting kind of yelled at off stage <laughs> by the teacher because I was so nervous. <laughs> And my mother had made a costume out of a paper bag, out of a grocery bag, that she just cut into leaves and then we painted it green. And so I was so nervous that the leaves were shaking. 
<laughs> so the teacher just coming. Keep it down, Willis. Keep it down. <laughs> okay, so clearly that was not the beginning of your your soon to be. Okay, so you're a little girl. Are your parents? Are your parents supportive of you, whatever you're doing uh, as a little my girl? My mom was, but she passed away when I was only 15. Okay. My father only wanted me to be a teacher and get married. Did you Did so, you start to go for Because I have a teaching degree. No. Did you start? No. Never. No. Never once considered it. So. I wanted to be in advertising. I majored in uh, advertising at University of Wisconsin. Okay. In journalism with a minor in advertising. So, you, so I, that's where the writing comes from, clearly. Yeah, and someone said, when I graduated, you know, they have uh, advertising departments at record companies. Oh. So. Did you, you already love music? Loved music, because growing up in Detroit, I just oh. worship Motown. Okay. And I would drive. You when listen I got, to those singers? Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah, but to, only the hits. Uh, well, with Motown, I knew everything, mm -hmm. even the obscure things. I wow. just, you know, to me. I was Motown. I think everyone in Detroit feels like they're they're Motown. Even even white Jewish girls. We even white Jewish girls. Uh, yeah, uh, certainly of that era. Did you grow up? Were you did you grow up in a Jewish neighborhood, or were you did you have African Jewish American neighborhood? Friend? Jewish neighborhood. Yeah, Jewish neighborhood. The school was half black. Okay. Half white Jewish, and near the Twain shall meet. They did. Unfortunately, no. What, you were about this because I yeah Martin Luther King Day I was dragged I was in a Jewish and black school yeah. and I was literally dragged by the hair down the hall on Martin Luther King when he was yeah assassinated. no no this was it, good it was relations. very separate oh. yeah my black thing started with my very first black friends and then I never left then it was like goodbye white people <laughs> I am no longer one of you <laughs> Which is true. Okay, so how did that happen? Um, because my original show business click, this was the very first click because I wrote my songs. Okay, wait, wait. All right, so wait. Bef before we get there, so you, you decide you're going to go into advertising. Yes, and I got a job at Columbia and Epic Records. Okay. Writing you're in for, Detroit? No, no, in New York. Oh, in New York. Because I, I graduated school and then I moved to Manhattan. Okay. And... Um, I uh, got this job at, originally as a secretary. It was oh. timing uh -huh. because I flunked the typing test I and I wouldn't leave. I kept going, let me take it again. Let me take it again. And then as luck would have it, uh -huh. the a secretary in the advertising department at Columbia Records told her boss that day that she was going to Jamaica for the summer. And I got her job because nice. there was no one else <laughs> And he, she had given no notice, so they needed someone right away. Uh -huh. So certainly I was the most fucked up secretary ever. <laughs> <laughs> but they made me a junior copywriter within a couple months. My very first person was Janis Joplin. Oh, my god! Who then died five days later. <gasps> oh, my yeah. god! And then I moved into her apartment when I moved out here. But that's a whole other story. Oh, there, I have lots of stuff. Oh, my God. I saw Otis Redding's plane crash. I mean, I have lots of oh my god. Um, stuff oh my like god. that that happens to this day. Just random coincidences that are not impact so my life massively okay so now wait a minute so you're the secretary in a bad one how yeah. did how did you parlay that how'd you get to be the copywriter because i was very open about wanting to be a copywriter okay 
And, uh, you know, I think they originally they just put off kind of more insignificant acts there mm-hmm. on me. And, I, you know, I was diligent and I did it. And then I was made like a full-fledged copywriter within a couple months. Okay, so th- this is really what we're here to find. So, so you had this dream. You wanted to be a copywriter. You made it happen because you wouldn't take no for it, right? You, yeah, I'm, I'm, no just didn't even um, occur to me. Um, you you cannot be in show business mm-hmm. and be afraid of the word no. Mm-hmm. And in the times that I have been, it af- affects it really adversely because you're going to hear no mm-hmm. 97,000 times until you get to so high up where it's bad that people don't say no to <laughs> well, you. You need to hear yeah, it no when now you, when and you again. really need to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. So, All right. So you get this copywriter thing because you're persistent, and they finally to shut you up probably yeah. give yes. you the little assignments. Yes. So Janis Joplin's your first. Gig? Well, Janis Joplin was. I was more kind of like correcting things, and um, it was it was. But and then it ended up being for the album Pearl, which was the album wow. that came out once she died. Posthumous, yeah. But my main person I was responsible for mm-hmm. was like my favorite songwriter of all time, which was Laura Nero. <gasps> and that was Me too. the Did very... you get to meet her? Oh, well, yeah. Oh. And her manager, whose first job it was, was David Geffen. Oh, my God. So those God. were the very, <gasps> very, very first people. What, was Lauren, what, what did, was Eli in the 13th oh Confession? Oh my God, my favorite uh, album. Of New York Tenderberry and Christmas and the Beads of Sweat. Eli in the 13th Confession, yeah. one of my favorite albums of all time. Oh my God. Yeah. She was, um, I mean, it was incredible when I, you know, think that I got to work with her, but I, you know, not the friendliest. I was gal. just going to say, tell me about her because I haven't <laughs> yeah, heard I wonderful. I couldn't tell you that much. Very. Wow. Mm, you know, there was a wall that was uh, wow. down, and mm-hmm. I was too intimidated to try and push past it. Uh, push past. I it. I see her as someone who doesn't look you in the. Did she look you in the eye? Was there any of that going no. on? She doesn't seem like the type that would. Geffen did. I, I always most think of her of with talking. her head down. Yeah. The only time she ever actually talked to Bull, I mean, she did a few times, mm. but this was the last time. This was mortifying. I was sitting in back of her at some concert. It was in a small club, mm-hmm. so not, you know, maybe there were 100 people in the audience. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, leaning forward because it was, I remember it was, like, hard to hear. Mm-hmm. And she turned around, and I thought, oh, she's going to talk to me. And she said, could you quit leaning on my hair? <laughs> <laughs> so that, that like, took care of it. That was horrible. <laughs> Oh my God! Oh yeah, that's God. pretty mortifying. But but really, um, and it's and it's but, those things that we remember. Of course, doesn't matter well, how many years go. I'll by. tell you what I do remember, and I'm actually doing this in my uh, upcoming show that I'm doing. I'm telling this story, um, which I really only put all of this stuff together fairly recently. Mm-hmm. That oh my God, this happened. This happened. This happened. The day I was quitting, that was my last day at work. Why were you quitting? Uh, because I got a deal on the same label. Oh. I got a, you know, this this was Columbia and Epic Records. Uh-huh. Columbia turned into Sony. Okay. And um, I got a deal on uh, Epic for okay, my Okay, so first... now wait, so the copywriting dream morphed into... Recording. recording. And then I had to quit... Um, because how long, it was a conflict how, of interest. How long was that time period between the time you started copywriting and you decided you wanted 69 to 72. 72 was when I started. 74 was when the album came out. But I had to quit. 
Well, I had to quit in 74. I kind of, you know, could do both until it officially became a conflict of interest. Then I became a hat check girl in comedy clubs. <laughs> I was the hat check girl at Catch a Rising Star. Oh, God. And, um, you know, hanging posters for Reno Sweeney, which oh, was the my, big, yeah. you know, uh, cabaret uh-huh. at the time. But um, I, I do want to tell you this, um, that the day, my very last day mm-hmm. um, that I was going to leave the record label, um, 73, it was actually 1973, um, my boss comes in and I'm like packing up and I'm, you know, ready to go off and be the person that they work for now. <laughs> and he said, you know, we just signed this new group and we have to do a trade ad really fast. And so will you write this? Mm-hmm. for? It was going to be in Billboard or uh-huh. something. And I was, I thought, oh God, this is the last thing <laughs> I want to be doing. And... Um, Oh, I know where this is going. It was Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh my God! And they just got signed. So then, when 73? I seventy-three, really? Yeah. Why do I feel like I knew them already? Oh, then because yeah. they had been on Warner Brothers oh, originally, okay. but okay. their success came on Columbia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, their own label on Columbia Arc, but that wasn't for a few years later. Um, so first of all, I'm the last group I'm put with is Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh my God! Then. When I was doing this, I was putting things together and I thought, let me just see what date I actually left. And I get, because I keep all my date books, I keep everything. Uh-huh. September 21st, the 21st night of September, 1973. Gives me so that was completely unbelievable. And the only other. Wait a minute, that's not after you wrote the song, you saw that. This, you, you wrote the song because of that. No, with the song we didn't, September we didn't write till 1978. This was purely a coincidence that on the 21st of September, which is the date in the song, that's when I left the job. But wait, you that's didn't discover when I was it till given, after you guys wrote I the song? I just discovered it like a couple of years ago. Get out of here. Yeah, when I thought, oh, maybe I should do this in my act. Let me see what when I left to really be sure I'm quoting the right year. And uh, so that was September 21st. Oh, my God. And then on that Child Star album, Mm -hmm. which was on there, the only month before writing the song September and actually since that I have ever written a song about was September. So there was a song on Child Star called, it was actually called What Kind of Shoes Does September Wear? Oh, my God. So that, that whole thing, I believe, was just absolute. De- absolutely, I believe in yeah, that completely. Absolutely. Okay, so, so you write the copy for Earth, Wind, and Fire, which obviously starts this relationship. Yeah, I'm for guessing. Head to the Sky. That was the album. Oh, yeah. God. Okay, so so how did? No, it wasn't the beginning of the relationship. Oh no, 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 because no, no, you don't meet. You know, sometimes oh. you met the acts, uh-huh. but not not. Well, you this did Laura time. Nero. Laura, I met Laura Nero. I met Janis Joplin. I met like a, got, a bunch of. You met of Janis. Them. So tell yeah, me about very Janis. Yeah, It was a high and goodbye. It wasn't. Okay. Yeah. I, I, but even the fact that you just oh no, did it was that. unbelievable. Oh my god! And just being out of college, <laughs> and everyone else is teaching, and you you're hobnobbing <laughs> with you know. Oh no, it was unbelievable. God. Oh my god! No, Earthwind. You want to know about yeah. Earthwind So I had a really good friend, still have a very good friend named Carol Childs, mm-hmm. and um, her. Uh, dating life always led to fantastic things for me. So, um, no, really. I mean, she put me with Bob Dylan. She, oh you know, God. Um, and she was head of A and R. She used to run a Richard Perry's uh, publishing. He was just a massive producer in the eighties. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, and then she went on to Geffen, 
and she was the original head of A&R wow. there. And um, she uh, was with Verdine White from Earth, right. and Fire. And she called me up one day and she said, Allie, you know, you should really write with Verdine. And if you do, if you write with Verdine and he likes you, this will lead to Earth, Wind, and Fire. All right, now wait. Now, to this point, you have your own album that you that's, that's come that out. That came out in 1974 and that bombed quickly. <laughs> quickly. And, and that, what's your songwriting like from that time to when you um, met Verdine? Well, the amazing thing is um, that the day I was dropped from the label, because I was terrified to perform uh, that was just misery for me so now you don't have your copywriting job anymore no you've i have ri- nothing i'm ri- a hat trick girl you're a hat trick girl your album's bombed what happens so i i did four uh well first of all after being the little fir tree in 19 <laughs> god knows when in second grade <laughs> yeah. the only stage experience the first place that the record label books me I have an all-black band. We're all dressed as sequin vegetables. I was way more into the costumes and the sets. Like, I still am. Yeah. Everything around it except for the main thing. People have to go to the website to see what you're wearing today. (laughs) The orange and green. Um, So uh, they put me opening with my all-black band, all, you know, R&B songs, opening for a folk singer in front of 10,000 people in Boston. It was horrible. Oh, wow. Horrible. It was just... Oh, so I was not comfortable on the road at all. And in the, we got to an instrumental in the sixth song of my fourth gig on this tour. Mm-hmm. And the instrumental started and I just thought, fuck this shit. And I turned around and I waved goodbye to the band and I jumped off the stage. This is God's truth. And I walked out the door and I oh. never came back. <laughs> I thought I'll take a year. I'll take a year. And I'll figure this shit out. I can't wait till they make the movie of your life. Ugh, yeah, it was thirty-seven <laughs> years later, and then it was a nightmare. But but that's a different story. I think I was there for your comeback. Oh God, that was just the worst <laughs> night. But ever, eh, whatever. So the day I was dropped by the record label, which was inevitable at mm-hmm. that point. Um, one of my friends, uh, this was uh, one of my first black friends. This mm-hmm. was the big j- game changer for me was that uh, out of my little clique, the one who really broke first was Bette Midler. And her oh, wow. group was uh-huh. the Harlets. Oh, yes. And those were my best friends. Oh, wow. Whoever the Harlots were, that was always <laughs> like my, my gals. So one of them, Sharon Were you Red, writing for Bette? Uh, no, but she was the very first person ever to hear a song of mine. And she actually rehearsed wow. it, uh, but it never actually got went. recorded. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so uh, th- this background singer, who was a huge background singer, Sharon Red, um, she on the day I was dropped, she said, "Well, you should come to this recording session with me tonight because you shouldn't be alone." And I said, "I mean, th- you know, the last place you want to be when you're dropped <laughs> is someone else's recording oh. session." But she was adamant. She just said, you shouldn't be alone. Mm-hmm. And that was one of those just completely bizarre fate things, which has periodically happened to me throughout my life, um, where I walked in, mm-hmm. didn't know whose session it was. And the girl, you know, singer, literally turned around, looked at me, ran up to me, fell to her knees and started bowing at my feet. Because? And because she knew who I was. She was the one person who had bought the album and said, go home and write me a song. 
And so my very first cover was for Bonnie Raitt. Oh. And that's who it was. Oh, my God. Yeah. Go- that was the first. bumps. Because after Laura Nero, Bonnie Raitt is my God, my well, goddess. So I uh, knew her name. Wow. I knew that was the bitch that was getting all the action when I wasn't, you know. Wow. Um, and I called my friend David Lasley uh-huh. uh, because he used to talk about her all the time. Well, because I saw Bonnie Raitt a bunch in the 70s. What what was she doing then when, when this happened? Well, this album was called Streetlights. Uh, Streetlights is like the best Bonnie Raitt album. Well, that, I, I had a song called well, Got You On My Mind. Oh, on my there. God. So that was my very first thing. <laughs> and then I went on the road with her singing. So, Get out of here. Yeah, not uh, just for maybe four or five months, but it was, you know, we did maybe four or five gigs. Oh my uh, but I God. that's when I went, oh, this like not being the one who everything falls on. This is pretty <laughs> cool. And, and you know, I used to always say the part of it that I really love is the songwriting. Mm-hmm. So uh, did you enjoy sing? Did you enjoy being a background singer? Was that fun for you? Uh, yes, because mm-hmm. you get to do all the things and then you can just go to the movies after. <laughs> I mean, you know, like none of the responsibilities right. on you. Um but uh, so I figured from that point on, ooh, this is going to go. I'm like a songwriter now. <laughs> but I, I would get maybe one or two songs cut a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but nothing ever, no singles. And if you don't have a single, then you're, not, making money. you're not doing it. Yeah. Um, and then the very same girl, Sharon Red, four years later, the Harlets got their own record deal. Mm-hmm. They did? At, yeah. 1978, they had an album out. And... Um, they were recording up in San Francisco with a producer named David Rubinson. Mm-hmm. He was known for breaking the Pointer Sisters. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, bet you got a chick on the side. Show you got a chick on. <laughs> no, you got a chick. So that was all him. And um, how long? I think that's what that was called. Uh, so they were being recorded by him. They took a bunch of my songs mm-hmm. to be considered. Mm-hmm. And he was also producing Patti LaBelle. Now, wait a minute. How are you writing songs? You're not playing music. You're, b- you're just writing them and you're get, trying how, to get how them. how are you writing them? How are you writing uh, because them? Because then I realized I could co-write. And well, I but, could but write. How, what were you writing? How were you physically writing? What, how, what were you doing? I had a co-writer who would be able to play better. So you than would me. sing. You would sing it to them. Yeah, we would write it. You know, together. And as long as they could kind of clump it together, I was okay. I would have opinions about. Oh, here's the feel. And I, I'm really to this day known for lifting people's hands <laughs> off of the keyboard and just clumping them down because here's the rhythm. You know. Okay, but so now, okay, so you can sing. Are, are you mainly the 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 lyricist no, or the you're you're both. the music you're both, both. you're both, both. okay uh, yeah fifty fifty and wait, what does one come before the other or that no, changes could, any anything could come first okay a lyric a note a string line anything can come first. and is there like a time like for me my most creative thinking happens in the shower I don't know why but I have my best idea like do you have like something that like works for you songwriting and writing writing two completely different things okay songwriting as soon as I walk in the room like if we're supposed to write at 12 I don't have anything in my head till 1201 and then literally you deliver it you like you're Uh, on it I I don't like to rehearse I don't like to work things out so it's turn on the mic and whatever happens happens and you and something always happens Uh, no not all the time but if it's gonna happen it does and people either thrive working with me or it's it's too it's 
too much because they're used to just working things out and, you know, getting it perfect before mm-hmm. you're in record. Now, not so much these days because everyone's on a computer and right. you just start. Right. But back in the day, the mm-hmm. way that I used to do it was just unheard of. And is it all collaboration for you? Is it always no. with some? Okay. No, but I enjoy collaboration the most because I don't enjoy being tortured. But at least if you have someone there, you can laugh, you can order lunch, you can do, you know, whatever. Yeah. So um, I just, and also I didn't have to deal with the playing thing, you know, that if, that as long as someone played better than me, I was, I was okay. So, um, uh, okay. So oh, the oh, harlot. So, okay. okay. So they're in San Francisco uh-huh. and, um, the same, you know, Sharon Red and Charlotte Crossley, they take the, you know, the songs to Ruben said, Patty LaBelle overhears a song because <gasps> she's working with David mm-hmm. and she flies me up to San Francisco wow. and puts me in the studio. So I have money to put the songs down as demos because I didn't even have money to make piano vocal demos. And then she was the first artist who started regularly doing my songs, like wow. to an album. Wow. And um, when I went up there, she said to me, I have a friend who's also up here who's recording in Studio B. He needs lyrics. Will you write with him? Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, I'm finally getting my big break with Patti LaBelle. I don't need to be with the friend, you know. <laughs> and just writing lyrics is uh, boring to me ah. and dangerous because you don't really know where the person wants to go. So if you're off writing in a vacuum, mm-hmm. you may create something great about a pineapple, but they want it to be singing about apples and you have no idea. I see. So I avoided uh, Studio B. Mm-hmm. And then the third day I was there, I walked out into the hall and the door opens to Studio B about 50 feet in front of me and this guy walks out and I go, oh shit, that's probably the guy. And the bathroom was right here next to where I was. So I duck into the bathroom (laughs) and I go, okay, I got to kill time. I'm going to pee, you know. So I'm sitting on the toilet (laughs) and the door to the bathroom opens and I hear clump, clump, clump. And these two male feet literally slide under the stall. So I'm like with my pants down and whoever this is, is like a foot and a half from my head. And all he said was, Patty said, you're a great writer. You know, meet me in Studio B. So I go into Studio B, have no idea who this is, other than there were an extraordinary amount of keyboards around. I'd never seen that many keyboards. This okay. Is, uh-huh. Again, 1978. And um, we're writing at least an hour and a half. We and you don't know who finished, this is? No, we had already finished one song. And anytime he was looking down and like scribbling stuff, I like really looked at him like, who the fuck <laughs> is this? And then all of a sudden I go... Oh, my God, it's Herbie Hancock. Oh, my God. So I ended up (laughs) writing. keyboards, of course. Well, and he had just gotten a vocorder, which was, you know, you kind of blow into a pipe. You Uh say a word into a pipe that's connected to a synthesizer. Uh And whatever note you're playing, it will take that word and sing it in that note. Right, right, right. So hence he needed lyrics for the first time because that Uh, keyboard had just come out. He was the first one ever to use one. Wow. So so I ended up with four songs on that. And then in short order between Patty, Herbie, and my friend Carol Childs putting me with Verdine White, I was writing with Verdine by... uh, 
Oh, God. Well, within a few months. And then after the first day, he said to me, I'm going to tell my brother about you. <laughs> and I never thought that would happen because I'm like practically on welfare. I'm, you know, food stamps and medical assistance. Are you really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I actually show my food stamp in my <laughs> show that's coming up. So you'll see. And my very last one. And um, which you didn't sp- need to spend. Which no, I actually I autographed it to someone. <laughs> but um, any and then the phone rang one night and literally this was the whole conversation. You know, is this Sally Willis? Yes, this is Maurice White. Um, do you want to write the next Earth, Wind and Fire album? with me he didn't say do you want to write do you want to write a song it was like do you want to write the whole album wow and so i went to the studio the next day oh no it was unbelievable i couldn't believe it because that was my all-time favorite group by that time i mean their hits were just amazing and i walked in the next day and they had just started on the intro to september which is exactly as you hear it on the record and i just thought walking in just please let this be what they want me to work on, because this is the greatest sounding thing I ever oh, heard. Um, and it was, yeah. you know. So, um, oh yeah, God. they had just started the, you know, the very intro. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Al McKay, Al mm-hmm. McKay on the guitar, who co-wrote the song. And the only thing that he told me mm-hmm. about the song was that it was <clears throat> the third song in a trilogy. Mm-hmm. That he had also written with Al McKay. Mm-hmm. And the other two had come out already and been hits. Uh, and that they were very happy songs. And this third one we were writing needed to what, be what the happiest. The, what are the first? Okay. Sing a song. Oh, greatest fantastic. ever. And one of the all-time best pop records ever. Best of My Love by The Emotions. Come on. How do you get better than that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So September was the uh, the third, and if you listen to those three songs, I'll you go, to "Oh, think, that yeah, totally I have, I, makes sense." I'm going to have to listen to them together. Just in yeah. terms of the joyous, mm-hmm. happy mm-hmm. spirit okay. of them, and then um, so while, when we wrote September, we were also writing the whole "I Am" album, and the only thing I didn't write on that was "After the Love Is Gone," which of mm-hmm. course I would have killed to've written. And um, <laughs> then there was one song that ultimately they decided would not have a lyric and it would just be a track. Mm-hmm. So um, so I think there were 10 songs on there and I co-wrote eight of them. What, in September, what, can you remember like things that were specifically your contribution to that song? Um, yes, um, but it, th- that was the first time I was writing with someone who was so huge. Yeah. Um, and I felt like I was out of my league because they were spiritual Mm -hmm. and that was the first thing he said to me was how do you know about eastern philosophies Mm -hmm. i didn't know what the fuck he was talking about (laughs) no i I, you know and i just said um i'm not sure so he gave me a list of 10 books Mm -hmm. and sent me to the bodhi tree you know that store uh and i was so freaked out so i went from being very confident Uh uh-huh you were very confident when you walked in when i the first day because mm-hmm. i felt like you know i've got the spirit i got i have uh-huh. a history with them even though they don't know it <laughs> um and i loved pop music so much mm-hmm. and i loved r&b and soul so much but as soon as the spiritual thing came up mm-hmm. um and he sent me and the very first book he said the most important book was called the greatest salesman in the world by og 
and it starts with an M. And I can see the name, but I can't remember the name. Okay. It's like Mandingo, but okay. it's not Mandingo. Okay. Uh, when he gave me the title, I thought, this is a cinch. It's about advertising. Mm-hmm. You know, the greatest right. salesman uh-huh. in the world. Uh-huh. And I opened it up, and just in the first sentence, I just went, I'm dead. It was just the kind of stuff that I did not, like the lion and the lamb and the Egypt, and then I'm like, oh, my God. So I went from being totally confident to a complete wreck, really, for the next four or five months that Mm -hmm. it took to write the whole album, Mm -hmm. because I never... I knew it had to be what he wanted to sing. Right. And Maurice was very, you know, it's it's all about vibes. Mm-hmm. So sometimes a thought would end, but you hadn't complete, completed the sentence yet. Like? Um, oh, God. Uh, <clears throat> well, actually, you know, if white people ask me what Earth, Wind & Fire songs I write, I say like Boogie Wonderland, September. Mm-hmm. If black people ask me, I say In the Stone. <laughs> That is, that's the Bible. Okay. And in that song, well, no, wait, I'll take September. Okay. The actual lyric of September is, do you remember the 21st night of September, love was changing the minds, pretenders, while chasing the clouds away. Now, if you look at sheet music, you hear people sing it, they say, love was changing the minds of pretenders. Mm. So I kept arguing for the of. But it never made it there because he just felt like, well, a gap is going to feel better there. Mm. So those kind of things where there weren't complete thoughts. Gotcha. um, That I realized, you know, you got to like, you got to be cool with this because I'm going to argue for of and then I'm going to lose the gig. By the way, I write that way. I write in incompletes. I drive editors crazy because I, yes, because I do it for the feel and the vibe of yeah. it. And it's more important. The rhythm is yeah. more important yeah. than the actual words. Right. Well, that, yeah. you know, but being a journalism major right. to me. And then also I did, if you read especially any of my early stuff or any of the stuff now, mm-hmm. unless it's written with a specific artist and you need to craft it very They're, much for what right. they want to do. Mm-hmm. I was very into that if you pulled the lyrics out, that it would stand up as journalism or a story or poetry. Okay. But so this was a whole new way of doing things. It strictly had to do with feel, Mm -hmm. you know. So there were very lyric-y lines in there that I wanted to kill myself (laughs) were in there. And argued, (laughs) argued, argued, let's change this, let's change this, it's too common. And he wouldn't change it. Thank God he wouldn't change it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, the key one being, uh, do you remember the 21st of December? Love was changing the minds of pretenders while chasing the clouds away. I hated that so much because it was just, it was like a lyric. Right. I wanted realism. Like? You know. Do you remember um, what you wanted in there? I don't know. I don't think we ever got that far oh, okay. so much as me saying it's too common of a line. Mm-hmm. It's too sing-songy. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, the big one that... The greatest argument I ever lost, thank God, <laughs> was the use of the term body in the chorus. When we for, when we first connected and I booked you, you said you sent me back and you said body and I said, What is she talking? Yeah. I had no <laughs> idea what you were t- and I mean I know that song like I know yeah. that song. I yeah. had no idea what you were talking no. about. Well uh, to this day people go to me, What's that lyric? Most the biggest guess is party on which again kill me if i ever write that uh some people guess on and on some people guess ah 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 but it's you know body ah say if you remember body ah dancing in september body ah never was a cloudy day 
So um, And so you didn't want body ah. I didn't want body ah. No, <laughs> I said, look, this is a hit song. I mean, you can't have any a nonsensical thing in there. <laughs> and he he humored me at first. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to it, but more important, let's just get the body of the song. Uh-huh. Um, and it was the very, very last uh, day of recording when, um, because September was written at the same time as the I Am album, mm-hmm. but September was written to be the only new song on Earth, Wind, and Fire's Greatest Hits, Volume 1. Okay. So that was coming out a month before I Am mm-hmm. was coming out. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was a deadline, September had to be finished, and uh, I got on my knees... <laughs> And I was grabbing his thigh. I always say the man had the most muscular thighs ever. Go back and look at him in photos. It's unbelievable. And uh, clutching the thigh and literally begging, please, please, please. So I finally say to this incredibly spiritual man, what the fuck does body I mean? And he essentially, you know, says back, who the fuck cares? And that was it. That was it. And then it went. And thank God, nothing has ever made me happier. Wow. You know. What a great But so I always say, I learned my greatest songwriting lesson that day. Um, Have you? Okay, so you had this incredible mentor. We were talking about, Justin and I were talking about mentors before. Yeah. So you, you, you had this incredible mentor. Did you carry that forward with your work after that? Did it influence uh, you? Uh, you think? Yes, and I don't know that I was aware of how much it influenced me, but it influenced absolutely everything in my life. Wow! Because getting to work with a group like that, who it was not—well, it probably was—I wasn't aware of it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, it wasn't about sex, drugs, rock and roll. It was really about putting a message out to the world mm-hmm. that we are all one. Everything is connected. You're the same as the tree. You're the same as the person, you know, next to you. That's the story of the color purple. That's the, I mean, it, I was going to say, and, it bleeds into, and, and the D, which is your and huge passion. And the Detroit thing, yeah. Um, which we'll talk about. Um, but yeah, no, uh, so it's, I think it set me on a very, although unconscious at the mm-hmm. time, conscious path of doing right as a human being. And that was very important to Earth, Wind, and Fire. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I feel very blessed that that's where my break came from. Mm -hmm. And I feel very blessed that it was September. Because again, uh, you know, you can write songs, but those kind of songs come around once in a lifetime. Uh, you know uh, what has endured like September? There's nothing like September. No NPR. There's... They did a special on it on the 21st of September oh, a nice. couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and they said, you know, they called it like the song that never ended or the never ends or something like that. I have to think it's in the top five songs of all time ever. I don't know about that, but it's uh, I, you know I, I can't think of. I, I'm trying to think of a song I've heard more or. Well, I had there's amazing um, things about it because you know you keep track of stuff as they you know like uh, it was Beyonce and Jay Z's wedding song, (laughs) you know it's been played. Was it really? Yeah, it's been played the first dance. It's been played at every single Democratic and Republican convention (laughs) since it came (laughs) out. Every single good thing. Yeah, I know, but (laughs) you know, um, has it really? Yeah, it's been in an insane amount of movies. The joke is always, when are we going to hear September? (laughs) And twice I've said that, where then we heard September. It happened in um, Night at the Museum. Yeah. 
and that I was sitting there just as a joke, mm-hmm. and within five minutes, da, 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 <laughs> you know. Um, and then there was another one I can't remember. Uh, oh, uh, Babel, where just who even you know? Because they don't. The publishing has been sold so many times, mm-hmm. so they don't have to contact the writers, but you know, unless you control the publishing, right. which on those early songs I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I never know when it's going. It was just the publisher's clearinghouse commercial. <laughs> and, and then I have to spend money trying to get someone to track it down. I usually spend more tracking it down. Than you get in residuals. Than, than I would get. Yeah. So, oh my but God. Uh, that's a small complaint. Uh, yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, to have been, to yeah. have written one of the most iconic songs And of then the other time. one that I think falls into that category, which, boy, did I not like this song while I was writing it. I adjusted this to get out of a publishing contract. Yeah. So I would never have to write again a song. Um, was the Friends theme song. So how the hell did that happen? Um, in 1991, I... Was one of the ten, you know, AFI has a woman's directing award, uh-huh. and every year they pick 10 women and 10 guys, and you know, you get that award. Mm-hmm. And so, I got that in 1991, and I was the only person who gave the award back because if you were a woman, you got five thousand dollars and you could make a film, you had to make a half an hour film on video, but uh-huh. if you were a guy, you got ten thousand dollars. And he got to shoot on film. And so I thought, this is very unjust. And uh-huh. to make a half an hour film, you have to beg, borrow, and steal from everyone. Mm-hmm. And if it's only going to be on video, which at that time, you could that film wouldn't have shown anywhere right. if it was on video. Right. So I gave it back. But wow. I met uh, a guy named Kevin Bright. Wait, now how did you... Uh, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. But how did you? What did you get the award for? I mean, because we haven't um, heard about that part of your life. Just uh, I, I um, w- got bored with songwriting. Yeah. Immediately, immediately, because everyone, as soon as you have hits, they call you to to write. Right. And I went from writing kind of very quirky, unique songs. Mm-hmm. To being a meat packager, basically, you know, mainstream pop. Yeah, and most of the time, people were just sending me tracks because mm-hmm. I think they assume you're. She's a woman. She's with these male groups. She's got to be the lyricist. So, oh. um, and at the beginning, I started putting lyrics to all of them, uh-huh. and then I thought, you know, most of the time, I would have thrown this music out at like bar four. <laughs> you know, I would have gone somewhere completely different. And I really started hating songwriter writing almost immediately. Wow. So the first hit was uh, in December of 78. Mm-hmm. And by uh, by 80, I was like, I don't I don't want to do this anymore. I just wow. I hate this. Wow. And I was getting over 100 songs cut a year. Huh. And every song I wrote and to get 100 cut a year. You're, you're talking about five, every three days you're writing a new song. Oh, more. Oh, my more, God. Because it's not like everyone gets cut. No, I was right. literally when I say like flipping them out like hamburgers i was um so i just was incredibly bored and one night in 1983 it was wait before you tell me Allie. i'm sorry yeah so your dream keeps changing i'm assuming this is because it's still changing now okay and i'm assuming about you that that's because you stay really present in your life and you don't have a a master plan you like i don't imagine you were that little girl saying okay one day i want to win no 
Okay, no. and so you allow yourself to I only to know just what I want to be at the moment. I love that. Yeah. Okay. Another great lesson from uh, Maurice White, okay. by the way, mm-hmm. of that you 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 remain open. You are merely a vessel. Mm-hmm. Things need to pass through you. Absolutely. Just keep it clear and let whatever come come. Um so 1983, I was painting my bathroom, <laughs> and um, I was heartbroken that I just was miserable being a songwriter. Oh, my God. And without having a creative—I was still writing songs, mm-hmm. but they meant nothing to me hmm. by that point. Are you and, still writing hits? Are you having hits? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, not as big as September. Well, nothing, what's going to be as yeah. big as September? But— um, like maybe top 20 I mean to the point where Uh in some cases I'm only realizing now that these songs were actually hits Mm -hmm. I mean I just had that happen with a a song called you're the best which Mm -hmm. was from the karate kid yeah that was huge well I didn't know it was huge because it only got to 20 so to me it was a failure I didn't know it was huge until Donald Trump tried to use it as his campaign song. Oh, God. And I went, who the fuck even knows this song, let alone? And then people go, what are you kidding? And this was huge. And I, I've got a few of them like that. That uh-huh. just, I cared, uh, I was so disappointed with myself mm-hmm. for what had happened. I didn't really even notice what was actually happening so so all right so let me get this so you're a person that does not judge your success or lack of it by what other people think of you no i'm relieved when it happens like i understand clearly right now color purple's bought me a little time Mm -hmm. you know but um no i don't judge whether i'm good or bad i I, it's self it's it's a self yeah i'm more proud of myself for just staying with it you know for getting knocked down so many times and just going I'm I'm just getting up I'll just I'm going to do something else you know do you, do you, is there one thing that's happened in your your creative life that you can say gave you the most joy the most I mean you've had so many extraordinary things but is there something that you created that you could say that is that is the most thrilling thing I have ever September. made yeah September yeah. because I see the effect it has on, on people gazillions and people. in the theater I see the effect that color purple has um but you know it's not as known cuz you kind of you have to be there right. to you have to be on Broadway yeah but um uh, you know, I'm proud of both those things because they're they're. Have they filmed the stage version no, of the Color Purple? D- that is one of those things about the theater that I think is it's so fucking stupid. Well, they just filmed Hamilton. The- well, you're if the producers get some special something or other, right? They can do it. I just think it's tragic. It's why people like me don't know about theater because you have to be there. Right. Or you see it at some dinner theater or something. I never knew till I wrote this that there was a difference between dinner theater and Broadway. <laughs> I thought that the Broadway version mm-hmm. was in the dinner theater. Mm-hmm. So, it, but it's like, you know, put it into pop culture. Absolutely. So, no, that part makes me uh, crazy. So they're not, not, they haven't filmed it. No, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I pray to God they do because mm-hmm. once it's gone, it's, it's gone. gone. Yeah. And yes, there are stay. you know, it tours it'll, it'll forever. It'll never be the same. It's never, never the, the same. same. Never no. the same. But okay. anyway, so I started a painting in 1993. Mm-hmm. I just took the toilet brush <laughs> and the pink paint of the bathroom <laughs> and I stayed up all night. And the toilet felt, brush? Yes. <laughs> And it felt so freeing 
to not know the rules. Like, were in, you an art? Were you a? Were you no, that kind never, of artist? Ever, never, never. Okay. But then I was writing at that time with J- Jane Whelan from the Go Go's, mm-hmm. and she walked in the next day and wanted to buy the painting. Oh my! God. And I said, made from no, the toilet brush. From the, with the toilet brush, <laughs> yes. And um, then I always say, you know, it's made of mixed uh, <laughs> media and my DNA. <laughs> So, um, uh, so I said, no, no, but I'll like paint you something else. So that was my very first commission. And I did a portrait of her, you know, portrait meaning in my own, (laughs) you know, uh, of her and her little miniature horse. And then it just started. And then the same thing happened with the art that happened with the music. I just turned into like a meat manufacturer, which I, this is still the way I am. I do it obsessively because I love it mm-hmm. and it's new. Uh, but the the art almost immediately, I knew had to be combined with the music. Uh-huh. I have to figure out some way to do this. Uh-huh. And that took about a year to figure out that I should start motorizing the art. So it would go to the beat. Like, uh, like for instance, I had I've a, seen your website, so I, I yeah. know what you mean. So I, uh, you know, I had a, um, a Pet Shop Boys song called mm-hmm. What Have I Done to Deserve This? Love that song. Thank you. And, but when I saw the video, it was mm-hmm. like, what do they think this song was about? With Dusty Springfield. And um, so I did a big motorized eight foot by 10 foot depiction of what that song to me was about <laughs> yeah so, so I, what, what do you mean you, how did you motorize it I, I would work with a mechanic okay but literally you know like we're sitting here or like yeah. i would sit if you're co-writing music and lyrics mm-hmm. you're just there and it's like oh well what if the girl did you know blah 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 and she reaches for the clock or something mm-hmm. so he would motorize the arm reaching for the vintage clock that i had as part of the piece okay and i would have you know painted the girl so I, I it was it was incredible and, and incredibly creative um creatively satisfying mm-hmm. until i realized i was dependent on the mechanic the same way i was on a co-writer mm-hmm. to be a better keyboard player than i was or guitar player mm-hmm. and the mechanic if the mechanics didn't work um this, you know, falls on me. I'm the one whose name is on it. Mm-hmm. So I got pretty fed up with that um, almost instantly because I had someone who would build things to work for maybe five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the time I finally found someone who was really reliable and did great work, I had been doing it for a few years already and I was ready to leave. By that point, someone had said to me, oh, have you ever done sets? Mm-hmm. And they knew about my house because I, you know, I live in a MGM party house and I've been collecting. Famous pajama parties. And I've been collecting, you know, forever. Yeah, Kitsch. Allie is the queen of Kitsch. Kitsch, atomic 50s, 60s and 70s. That's kind of my area. And that I still haven't been to your house, by the way. Oh, God. That is so stupid. Uh, uh, Hello. Oh, my God. Well, we're going to fix that. Okay. Um, but I sat next to a guy named Jeff Stein, who mm-hmm. he was a big video director. He did that Cars video, you might think, that oh. had the fly, uh-huh. and the, you know. And he did the Tom Petty, um, Don't Come Around Here Anymore, the Alice in Wonderland was. Mm-hmm. So we were just seated next to each other at a dinner party. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, have you ever designed sets? And I said, no, but I want to. And he said, okay, Saturday. 
and because he knew about my house. And he said, if we can film in the house and you do like a couple special pieces, we'll do it. So, which is how I hooked up with Debbie Harry, because it was her video, which then that also led to writing. So wow. Pet Shop Boys was through art as well. I got hired. Um, their manager was in... Um, uh, L.A. looking for a publishing deal for them mm -hmm. right when West End Girls came out. Mm -hmm. And my... What a great song that is. My, oh, yeah. So my uh, publisher asked me if she could put my first few pieces that I had done mm -hmm. in her office. And the manager came in, saw them, and hired me to go to London to paint their portrait for their fan club stationery. Oh, my God. And it wasn't until they were posing for me and this is pretty classic. This is another one of those, oh, thank you, this is my life moments, where um, Neil, the lead singer, mm -hmm. while they were posing, said, well, why haven't we ever seen your art before? And I said, because I, I just started painting, mm -hmm. and um, I'm really more of a songwriter. And he said to me, like as a joke, mm -hmm. he said, oh, you're not that A. Willis on those Earth, Wind & Fire <gasps> records, are you? <laughs> Literally. Wow. And I just said, why, yes, I am. Wow. So I stayed an extra week, and we wrote, what have I done to deserve this? Wow. Yeah, that was, that was, that was a good moment <sighs> where you just can say yes. You've had a lot of good moments. <laughs> You've had a Okay, so now how did you, so then you do this whole internet thing. How did you connect with okay. Lily Tomlin? How did that happen? Uh, the Lily Tomlin thing was uh, that Paul Rubin's Pee Wee Herman took me to, um, she was doing a, okay, see this. So you must know Lynn Stewart from back oh, in the yeah. day. Like Lynn's a great yeah. friend of mine. I yeah. love, love Lynn. Okay, she love, was Miss love, Yvonne love. for those of you who love, don't know. Love. Yeah, still is, love. yeah. Um, uh, he took me to a run-through she was doing of the sh her show that was going to Broadway, Search for Signs of right. Intelligent Life in the Universe. Um, and she had heard about my house. So well, when we were introduced, she said, I want to come to your house. So I immediately <laughs> said, yes. <laughs> So she came, her and Jane came uh -huh. over a couple times. It mm -hmm. was great. Um, and then she uh, called and said, I want to fly you to New York. Mm -hmm. I want you to critique the show, which had just opened on Broadway, for which she got a Tony, actually. Right. But, okay, um, so now what, what's making... What? I did not know. Okay. What. This was maybe only six months after I met them. But they're going to fly me to New York. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I go and see the show. Uh, and, and you hate shows. I hate shows. <laughs> hate shows. But it was that was one of the few shows I've actually seen. Yeah. And um, Lily clearly didn't know that you hated shows. No, no. she would have liked that. Though. Yes. Yeah, she would have liked that. Um, and so it wasn't to critique the show. It was okay. a surprise that one of the characters was physically based on me. Oh. Kate, who is, she bitches all the time and the hairdresser gets so mad at her, they he slices off half of her hair oh on my one side. Which um, Justin can see, but our audience out there can't. Um, but you'll look on the website. Allie's always, always. one side of her hair is short. One yeah, is one long. above the ear and one to the shoulder -ish. way b below below the shoulder Four or five yeah, yeah. below but um anyway so kate walks oh. out it was just like oh my god so you knew as soon as she came out what I, was happening that that's what it was for yeah oh. and then in subsequent like posters or in the book of the film it's my head you know it's my hair and neck 
with Lily's face fused into mine, which now with Photoshop, big deal. But th- this was 1984. There was no Photoshop. You know, Samantha and I were just at Barnes & Noble, and we took out that book because Samantha was looking for monologues, and she picked oh. a couple out from there. And I, I was just looking at that book. Well, I and am I in ne- there. Oh There's a pic- And the hair is, because my hair used to be spiked. So you'll see Kate's picture. She's kind of sitting there like this. It's bizarre. I'll see it now yeah. with a whole new eyes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Wow. So that was a Lily Tomlin. And then when I started getting interested in the web, which was 1991, very early, before mm-hmm. there were any graphics, um, she was always very intrigued. So when she finally decided to do a website in the mm-hmm. late 90s, mm-hmm. she asked me, she actually asked uh, my alter ego, who by that time was in full control of my life, <laughs> Bubbles the Artist, a less appropriate name. I hate art galleries and museums as much as I do theater, by the way. I'm an equal opportunity hater. hater. <laughs> I only like, I like television mm-hmm. and the radio. Okay. That's that's the extent of my culture. Um, and uh, Not movie theaters either? You don't go to the movies? I go to movies, but in this day, and I used to love going to the movies. Mm-hmm. But in this, I mean. To now you watch it on your TV. Bus, bus, yeah. yeah, the mm-hmm. movies I'm interested in are, you know, Netflix, Amazon, I'm yeah, set. Yeah. Okay. So uh, it's also to- movie budgets and salaries are so offensive to me. I can't stand it. Okay. I love the experience of going, but I'm if I go see a blockbuster, I'm always disappointed, mm. you know. Although um, I just saw the nice guys uh, the other night late in the game i i could not have loved it more i'm way on the other side of really it, oh i I'm, loved Ryan i'm eternally Gosling. grateful I they use my music <laughs> i love the acting yeah. uh, especially him yeah uh, I, the movie kind of just i didn't care about that uh, he was it. so funny i just I adored him yeah adored i him. i agree he's great in yeah. that so well so lily so we ended up doing her uh her website, her website in the late 90s very early for a celebrity mm-hmm. website and she really didn't care about the website she loved the little animations <laughs> i would do so she would just come over and laugh you know <laughs> and bubbles the artist um who i really created because i wanted to after 15 years of really not 15 10 mm-hmm. really concentrating online way before anyone was even online mm-hmm. uh, and trying to prototype a social network as early as 1992 wow um i, I had an internet business that was kind of started around the same time yeah i mean 90, pathetically yeah. early and certainly mm-hmm. no one thought of it as a medium of entertainment which mm-hmm. to me it was the most obvious medium of entertainment because people could link in from all over right and if you do ask me what my number one skill is i'm going to say party throwing (laughs) and so to me it was like oh my god this is a party and i can get them out of my backyard you know so my thing always though just like i guess kind of tie up the things we're talking about but uh you know to me it was always taking everything that i do Mm -hmm. i mean i was a multimedia artist that word is kind of misused now because it just means kind of digital mm. but multimedia back in the day was you worked in records you worked in art mm-hmm. you worked in you know writing you were you know you combine you didn't just do one aspect of right. the thing although there aren't a lot of people who have had as varied career i mean not only as varied a career as you've had and continue to have but 
success at every single thing you've well, done. Oh, but, oh my but God. so many failures. Okay, so, between, that I, so I want to yeah. ask you about that. So is there like something that you tried that you just had no gift for, no talent for at all? That I, I have work? no talent for acting. So I didn't try, <laughs> okay. but Lily cast me in something oh, she really? did. And I just said, please don't even make me try and do this. And she came over to coach me yeah. and it was it was like throwing mud <laughs> on the wall. That's that's like terrifying. <laughs> Ter- and until recently, performing, which see, I was always aware because you. I mean, the, most of the people listening to this, they go, "Who the fuck is Allie Willis?" I mean, now once you say the work, right? They'll then know, every, right, but right. Who, uh, they don't know who I am. Okay. And I was always aware that if I performed, I could take all these things I do and tie them together. Right. Um, but my um, stage experience was limited and horrible (laughs) and when I tried to come back in 2011 that was the most horrible at all Uh, I was there yeah oh god (laughs) anytime anyone tells me they were there I just want to go and stick my head in a manhole (laughs) just like horrible (laughs) well there it was all like technical right right and not one work. There were 500 <laughs> cues that didn't work. And I didn't even know you're supposed to have a tech rehearsal. This was, by the way, after I did the color purple. So that was really pitiful. <laughs> um, but the one thing I did do was that I stayed on stage for two and a half hours mm-hmm. without quitting. Mm-hmm. And most of my sh- show business friends said I would have walked off after five <laughs> minutes. So you get points. Yes. But I knew from that. That I had to do it again immediately or it, that was over. Mm-hmm. And that's when it hit me that, A, I turned into the kitsch that I so revere. Kitsch meaning where you're trying to do something right, but it goes tragically wrong. And somewhere <laughs> in there, there's great humor. <laughs> and, you know, I discovered I am credited with discovering the Del Rubio triplets. Do you know the Del Rubios? Why does that they, sound familiar to They me? were three in the 80s. They kind of had a, a their heyday. They were three identical triplets mm-hmm. at that time, eight, at 75 mm-hmm. years old. Mm-hmm. And they wore mini skirts and go-go boots, <laughs> sang really out of tune, <laughs> but perfectly in tune with each other. <laughs> on really out of tune, but perfectly in tune with each other guitars. <laughs> and did, you know, tragic versions of pop songs. <laughs> And um, so I realized I like turned into a Del Rubio that <laughs> night. And so I revere Kitsch. I'm going to embrace it. Uh huh. And why don't I approach my shows as hosting a party mm-hmm. as opposed to I'm a singer songwriter. And that's when it dawned on me. I'm going to do all the songs as sing-alongs because then there's. No hundred voices singing, not just me. So who gives a shit if my, I mean, you know, how good the voice is. Uh-huh. And I'll do party games and a thrift shop auctions. And oh, all yeah, you, stuff. Your, your, your shows are so fun. Well, so that was, that changed everything. I still everything. have my, fa- my alley face on oh, a stick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, I got to get those <laughs> yeah, out for this They're show. fabulous. Oh, my God. <laughs> Forgot about those. Um, and so then I started doing it as a party host. Uh, uh, the first time I tried to come back, I didn't have a band. Yeah. And I was on stage and I thought, what are you doing? You can't, you hate piano. <laughs> what are you up here with just a piano for? I mean, I don't hate piano, but I I write records. They're not just made with a piano. Right, what right. am I doing? Um, so when I came back, I had, uh, I went from me and a piano player to me and 27 people. Right. 
and that I had a great time. Which I saw. But, thank you very much, um, it was so expensive. Uh, I just lost tens of thousands of dollars, no matter. And they always sold out, but I wasn't playing in big enough places. Mm -hmm. Um, So then about a year ago, I thought, let me just try this with only Andre, my main collaborator, band leader. Mm -hmm. Um, And and we'll sing to records. And that was great. I just did that a couple times, Uh like at Uncabaret. Uh And uh, and Beth Lapidus, do you Mm -hmm. know Beth? Yeah. Uh Has always been, like, great to me, as have you. Mm -hmm. And... um, I just thought, okay, uh, this is now I can make this a really intimate show, but still do it as a party house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so before we wrap, I want to talk a little bit about the D, because yes. this is your passion project now. Yes. Well, I mean, you've got so many. <sighs> no, but that's that's the one. Um, okay, so tell us about that. You know, again, from Detroit, love Detroit. And for decades, you would tell people you were from Detroit and they would just go, oh, (laughs) you know, like feel so bad for you. And in my head, it was still this great, incredible city, really America's city, Mm -hmm. started so many trends, musically Mm -hmm. brilliant. Um, And so I always wanted to do something to give back, Mm -hmm. but I'm a self-funded artist Mm -hmm. and I conceive of projects that are way over my head. And so I'm always broke. So I thought, well, what are, what are the things I know I could do uh, on hardly any resources? I'm a good party thrower. I'm a good songwriter. So uh, with Andre Alexander, who mm-hmm. I, is pretty much my sole collaborator now, mm-hmm. um, we wrote a song for Detroit. Which not is asked fantastic. To. I Thank love you. it. I just, you know, wrote it, and I took two microphones back with a, a guy named Mark Tomorski, who I also do a lot of stuff with, mm-hmm. not just musically, but, you know, art, construction, stuff mm-hmm. like that. And um, we conducted 60 sing-alongs all over the city with two microphones. We wow. would go from a church to a football field to someone's living room wow. to a pizza place to a school. Um and it's more people in history than have ever been on a record before. 5,000 lead singers <laughs> mixed in with Motown legends and, you know, incredible. Uh-huh. Um, and then also filmed it for... Yeah, the video's um, fabulous. You know, for a matching... I'm trying... I, 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 I'm almost calling it like a, a micro doc now because it's broader than a video. Uh-huh. But it was also supposed to be a feature length documentary right um and then i found out my producer was a junkie and so all the money that i had spent for the last two years went into his habit as opposed to yeah into the film so now i'm just concentrating on getting the record and the the video video out um and i never worked on anything that hard in my life Mm -hmm. it was uh we had over five thousand tracks an average ambitious record would be maybe a hundred 60 to 200. So 5,000 each with 10 to 250 voices on it. Wow. And 20,000 hours of footage. And it was only me and Andre working on the music Mm -hmm. uh, with a couple um, uh, engineers coming in at certain points when we just got in over our heads. Mm -hmm. Uh, And me and one animator, editor, uh, who I co-animated, edited with. Mm -hmm. So it was... I always say we're like De- Betsy Ross hand stitching the flag. <laughs> it was like, oh. So it took three and a half years mm-hmm. 
of seven days a week to finally get this. And I finally only finished uh, really about two months ago. And now... I remember you sent it to me like that the next day. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm figuring out how to have a premiere in Detroit that's not just a party. And all the money now is gone with the junkie. Right. Um, So to try and figure out how to... uh, have a premiere in the spring Mm -hmm. that's ambitious as the project is. Wow. Um, And that is then where winning uh, your show, winning a Tony comes in handy because you have collaborators kind of coming out of the walls. Right. So um, I am uh, doing that. I'm actually doing something else that I cannot talk about Mm -hmm. until it's announced, Mm -hmm. but that is, um, they are also going to be involved in this Detroit premiere. Okay. But it is a theatrical <laughs> thing. And if Color Purple was extreme for me to do, this is way more extreme. Wow. Um, and that's an event coming up in November. Wow. Uh, but they're also involved with it. So I'm really trying to just concentrate really on more performance type uh, things. Okay. So that's what I was going to, that's, that's was going to be my last question. Yeah. So, You've done, I can't believe what you've done, where you started, where you are today. Okay, so is the ambition now to to be more upfront with, with to, yes, to be more out there? Yes, because it's the only way... People are going to know who the hell you are. That you are, and if they don't know who you are, you don't get funded. Mm-hmm. And I can't continue... First of all, if I spend my own money, mm-hmm. I'm always broke, mm-hmm. which I'm so sick of being. Mm-hmm. And but all, you will have a forever stream of income from the hits that yes. you... Yes, okay. but that stream of income goes right into yeah. what it is that I'm doing at that moment. <laughs> yeah. I would like to stop living that way because you live in terror most mm-hmm. of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I need I need to get out of my backyard. You know, I need to the stage needs to be bigger mm-hmm. for me to execute at the level that creatively mm-hmm. I'm um able Mm -hmm. to do Mm -hmm. but I never have the funds to do it and I don't have the place to do it and the people that get those opportunities are the people whose names we know know. right so that's what pushes me it isn't to be famous it isn't to be the biggest songwriter that ever lived I mean it's none of those things it's so that I can create on the level I'm capable of and so that doesn't let me rest at all. That's that's pretty thrilling, and I and I love that there's still ambition in you for the and, oh, yeah. and that your ambition is constantly evolving. Yeah, and that's to me because you're so present in your life, and that you don't have that big plan. It's that you're just living from moment to yeah, moment I and just, letting it take you. I just want to do more than I've done so I can remain creatively stimulated. Because without that, I just. Lower me in the box. And so this thing that you're doing now is still turning you on, is, is turning you on. Yes. It's also terrifying me <laughs> because it's something I haven't done before. Uh-huh. Um, and the Detroit thing is, uh, in ter- you know, I'm, I'm as ambitious as it comes in the work itself. Mm-hmm. What I'm not ambitious at all in is the promoting of oh, it. Oh, that's so, it's the so The selling hard. the tickets, oh, the oh. getting it placed so mm-hmm. that I cannot stand that. It makes me feel like shit. 
I do it. I do it. I hate it also. Yeah. I don't know anybody who likes to no, do it. How I do you like to do not. that? It's Well, I guess you have to be an agent then or a I, lawyer or something. Yeah. But, you know, purely creative, that part of it is torture. Horrible. And I'm trying to deal with that part of myself, mm-hmm. even just selling tickets for this little show. I know. It's, I know. It's, 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 I, I do all this stuff on Facebook. Well, yeah, and all. you have to do it monthly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's a killer. People don't understand. That's the hardest part of it. Be, yeah, because people look at people like us and think that it comes naturally yeah. and it's something we love to do. Yeah. It's torture. It's, I, no, it's horrible. I, 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 I embarrass myself. I Ask get it. it. I'm huckstering. And, uh, and horrible. Do, oh, horrible. And then especially if it's no or the tickets don't sell. And it's a constant struggle to maintain belief in yourself. <laughs> it is. And I, you know, there's different kinds of creative people. We, unfortunately, are the same. <laughs> it, it, it almost doesn't matter if you get, uh, well, it does matter, mm-hmm. but your your inner attitude is, I just right. want to create. Right. You know, so I always took the work that was spec. I wasn't getting the gigs that were paying hundreds of thousands of, of dollars. I was taking, oh, my friend is doing a show at blah, 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 and I'll do the set mm-hmm. because I know they'll let me do whatever I want and creatively I'll be fulfilled. Right, right. But, um, uh, you know, it's not the road uh, to wealth. On the <laughs> other hand, my friends who really got wealthy in mm-hmm. their songwriting careers, who I have outsold by 20 times, right, always had way more money than me, but... You know, you get to this age, and I look at who's still going and who's not, Mm -hmm. and I'm very happy I took the route that I took, though um, getting compensated fairly would have made a huge difference, but I was going to do it anyway. I just love doing it. Well, um, Allie, I just, I I thank you so much for coming and doing this. Um, I just, I I love your energy. I love your talent. I love you. Before we go, Vicky, do you want to uh, go over guilty pleasure? Oh my, you know, thank God for Justin because everybody, everybody needs that person that like keeps them on track because I am, because every show I forget this. Uh, Thank you, Justin. Okay. So uh, Allie, you know, you've seen me on Facebook with my head in a bag of Cheetos and and I also diet. I mean, I have a million guilty pleasures. I've songs that are guilty yeah, pleasures yeah. that I'm ashamed of. Yeah. Is there anything I, we're doing this to to kind of show that in spite of your superhumanness that you still have your humanity and that that you sit in the dark at night and go, "Oh, why did I do that?" Oh, ooh. Yeah. So, uh, well, you got one? Um w- uh yeah. Well, the main one is the television one. Ah. I am rabid and will stop everything at 6 p.m. for to watch Chips. No, you are. Uh, Let me tell you something. (laughs) I will watch Chips 24 hours a day. The single best uh, music score of it's disco. It's 100% disco. The score. Watch Chips. You will die. I haven't seen Chips in. No, and I'll watch anything that takes place in California in the 70s. So Chips, without question, that's at the top of the list. Uh, musically, yeah. a theme from a summer place, Percy Faith, 1960, the greatest mm. string arrangement ever. I have to listen to that again. Oh, I, I love the song. From a summer place. Okay. Oh my God, it's brilliant. Okay. Um, and uh, a junk food, yeah. which I proudly still live on. <laughs> Not a healthy bone. In, well, the, my body is healthy, which is shocking. Um, 
at candy, almost yeah. any kind. Chocolate, What's your favorite? Chocolate or caramel based mm. is my absolute uh, favorite. Uh, potato chips. Me too. And um, salty, so yeah, and I, salty, I, I fatty. Eat, eat those together. Proudly. Oh yeah, and so and have you ever had? Have what? you ever had chubby hubby ice cream? But, no. Oh, oh wait, oh wait, no. This no. is this. You are the person. What is it? It's it's vanilla. It's Ben and Jerry's. It's vanilla ice cream. Inside is a chocolate covered caramel <gasps> pretzel. So you get the salt of the pretzel. the snap, the chocolate, wow. the caramel. The ve- well, oh a, my! I'm stopping on the way home. Um, it's Seriously. the be- it's, It is the best. Chubby hubby. Chubby hubby. Wow! I wish that the pretzel were a potato chip, but <laughs> yes, I, I know the pretzels. Yes, take, they take but you too can much crunch. But you can crunch a potato chip and put it in the chubby is hubby the pretzel, ice cream. Uh, is it still hard in the ice cream? It's pretty damn good. It's still okay. got a crunch. Well, the pretzel might throw me off, but it sounds unbelievable. No, it's really. I was going to say to you, if you throw vanilla ice cream into the mix. That's just kind of the the bridge between everything. But in the old days, do you remember when Hagen Dazs first broke? And, yeah, and we're talking now the seven early seventies. Yeah. We used to take. I had an I had the first anorexic friend, like when Karen Carp like before yeah. we knew that Karen Carpenter was. But my, and but the only thing she would eat is she would dip salted pretzels into vanilla Hagen Dazs uh. ice cream, and uh, as it was melty. Yeah. Oh my God! Yeah, killer. Yeah, as killer. much as I love potato chips and Cheetos more, the pretzels <sighs> with the vanilla ice cream is pretty fucking yeah, heavenly. Yeah, pretty heavenly. Yeah, pretty heavenly. But 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 my number one of all those things is chips. Yeah, oh yeah, the yeah. salty fatty. It, no, no, chips. The TV oh, show. Chips the- <laughs> Eric Estrada in that uniform. Oh my God! And I have all the memorabilia. Eric, I've got think, the helicopters. I've got the Eric motorcycles. Estrada's. I think my Facebook. I think I've talked <gasps> to him. I think I. Oh. I've. Tra- I think I've been trying to get him for women who write. So oh. when I get him for women who write, oh, I'll have to come. But yes. it's the music, the theme song to Chips. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! And the first kind of use of a synthesizer in a score—it's—it's it's brilliant. All right, I have to go back. And, what, what channel is it on? Uh, TV Land. Oh, okay. every single night, <laughs> six o'clock. Or I'm going. I'm going. Yeah, and, and, and preceded also by a show at the time I hated, which I revere now, mainly because it's California in the '70s. Emergency, <laughs> where there's so no emergency <laughs> to any of the emergencies. <laughs> I don't. I, oh no. 5 to 7 p.m., best TV ever. Emergency going into chips. All right. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm bought. Thank you. You're welcome. So, Justin, I think tonight the takeaway for me with Allie is courage, hmm. belief in oneself. I mean, this woman has to have so much self-belief to do the things she's done. And she's done so many different things. And she's excelled at all of them. The Internet composing, design. I mean, she's just, she's extraordinary. And she just really believes that she can, and she just does. And I think a lot of doing is believing that we can. So my takeaway from Allie is to have faith in my, you know, to have more faith in myself, to believe that I can. She's a a tremendous power of example. I'm very inspired by her. And she's so fun. Isn't she fun? Oh, yeah. Anyway, come back next week, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Please tune in every Tuesday, 6 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 Central, 9 Eastern Time for The Road Taken on Conversations Radio Network. And follow us on the Facebook at Vicki Abelson. Follow us on Twitter at Vicki Abelson. On Instagram at Vicki Abelson. And I know this is shocking, but on the interweb at VickiAbelson.com.